you would take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man. But he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. So the title of this message this morning is The Hope of our rejoicing, the hope of our rejoicing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, that we have it recorded for us in our own language that we can read and understand. And I pray that you'd help me as I preach this message today to give me clarity of thought and mind to bring forth the truth of thy word. Help us to make application to our lives for our good and for thy glory. We do pray, Father, that if there be any in our midst this morning who do not have assurance of salvation, that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts, bring conviction, and help them see their need and repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews, the Jewish people who were suffering from persecution without. They were suffering persecution from the Romans. They were under the Roman dominion. Uh, You know, it's probably about around this time that there's increasing persecution of the Romans because we know that Jerusalem fell, was it 70 70 A.D., I believe, Titus came in and destroyed and carried off, destroyed the temple and so on. So So there was this persecution from without, but there was also corruption now these these were this this I believe was really probably to the church at Jerusalem, but there was corruption from within, from those who were zealous of the law of Moses. This was a continual problem that we see this addressed, particularly by the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures during New Testament times uh, during that first century. This corruption from within of those who professed to believe in Christ and yet who were zealous of the law of Moses. In this passage of Scripture was a challenge to them to consider the greatness of Christ over Moses. And they're to set their hope of rejoicing in Christ, not on Moses. You know, we live in a time of great corruption within Christendom. Many have forsaken the purity of the doctrines of Christ, the doctrines of repentance and faith 
in Him alone, have had, and have added their own laws of good works, quote-unquote. Prayers, serving, baptism, you know, all sorts of things. Sabbath-keeping. And these are the things that they rejoice in or they glory in, which are a false hope. If you're trusting in those things, you're trusting in a false hope. Just as those Jewish people were trusting in the law of Moses, it was a false hope. And this is the warning that the writer here of Hebrews, you know, we don't, we're not sure who it is. Well, I do know who it is. It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, the writer of Hebrews, I'm not sure who the man was, but, but the writer of Hebrews is trying to emphasize to these Hebrews. He's saying to them, consider attentively, fix your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one you should glory in. This is the hope of your rejoicing that you need to hold on to. For consider, I'll notice consider three things this morning about our hope, the hope of our rejoicing, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, He is the way to God. You know, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, I don't know how you can get any clearer than that. That is a very dogmatic, singular statement. It is single. There's only one way. And here in verse 1 of our text, the Bible says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle. Now, I want you to think a little bit. The word apostle is what? What stands out about the word apostle? It's capitalized. The other thing that caught my attention was, consider the apostle, not an apostle. You know, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he says, an an apostle, small a, Apostle wasn't capitalized. An apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Peter wrote to the the brethren scattered abroad, he wrote an apostle of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I am the apostle. But the writer here of Hebrews says, consider the apostle. That word apostle here means he's a delegate. He's a, a messenger. He's one sent forth with orders. He's God's chief messenger who has brought the divine invitation to embrace salvation in the kingdom of God. This message is from heaven. As compared with Moses, his message was on earth. It had to do with an earthly tabernacle and earthly sacrifices. We'll see that a little bit later on in the book of Hebrews. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye also know. You need to consider this man approved of God. John testified that he was the Lamb of God, which would take away the sin of the world. John said in John 1.30, John the Baptist, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. 
signifying that this was God in the flesh. He was before me. You might say, you know, humanistically speaking, John was older than Jesus. He was six months older. But John says, no, he was before me. Go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's testimony and final message to the nation, to the, to the nation of Israel, in John 7, or Acts 7, verse 37 and 39, he says this, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles. That refers to the word of God to give unto us to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and then their hearts turned back again unto Jesus. You know, uh, uh, Stephen is saying, this is he. This is the Christ. This is the chosen of God. This is that prophet that Moses spoke about. This is he. It is Jesus Christ. He is the apostle. He is the one sent forth with a divine invitation of salvation. And if you notice, by the way, it says in verse 39, to whom our fathers, referring to Jesus Christ, our fathers would not obey. It wasn't Moses they rebelled against, it was the Lord they rebelled against. And refused to follow. Apostle John, 1 John 5, 6, this is he that came by water and blood. Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is true. So this is the Apostle. And he's saying, look, you need to consider. This is the, the Apostle. This is the messenger from God. We notice in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that God in these last times has spoken unto us by His Son. By His Son. You, this word that you're holding in your hand is the words of the living God. It is the word of the Son of God. He is the apostle. He's the messenger. He is the one approved or appointed by God. Secondly, we see he is our mediator. As we consider that he is the way to God, he is our mediator. Notice verse 1 again. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, a high priest, you know, in the epistle to the Hebrews, Christ is called the high priest. And again, the high priest is capitalized. Because by undergoing a bloody death, he offered himself as an expiatory sacrifice to God, or a substitutional sacrifice to God. And has entered into the heavenly sanctuary where he continues to intercede on our behalf. You know, we can see from the life of Aaron, the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament priests, that the function of the high priest was he was to act as a mediator or a go-between between God and men. You know, many times when the people sinned against God and against Moses, 
Aaron would take incense from off the altar and run it amongst the people. He'd run it amongst the people, get between the living and the dead to stop the plague of death. There were several occasions that he did it. What was he doing? He was interceding. For, 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 he was in service to God, interceding for people on the behalf of, uh, between them and God. We know also that the high priest, once a year, would take the blood of, of the sacrifice, and he'd enter by himself into the Holy of Holies to offer for the sins of the people once a year. Once a year. For the forgiveness of their sins as a nation. He was, he was interceding on behalf of men to God for them. See, you and I all have a problem. We're born with a problem. We're born against God. We're born with a sin nature. Now that sin nature is very quick to avail it, to, to demonstrate itself in our life. But it's a little slow for us to understand it. You know, it takes a few years to we understand that we have a sin nature. But we're born with a sin nature, separated from God. The Bible says they go astray from the womb, speaking lies. And we have a high priest. The high priest of our profession is Christ Jesus. He is the one that goes, he mediates between us and God. You know, in, in Aaron and all these things in the Old Testament, they were all pictures of what Christ did and does, does, still does for us. He stands between us and death, hell. He intercedes. He pleads our cause before the Father in the face of our accuser, the old devil. You know, Revelation 12 tells us that, we, that the old devil is an accuser who accuses the brethren before God day and night. We know that he accused Job before God. But we have one that intercedes on our behalf. You know, he, and, and he's, he's our advocate, if you will. Jesus Christ the righteous, verse John 2, 1 tells us. You know, he's like our own defense eternity that we have in heaven. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have your own defense eternity sitting in heaven. See at the right hand of God. And, and so he's there when the accuser, the brethren, comes and accuses you before God. And you says, see what, see what Caleb did? Lord, God, did you see what Caleb did? He ought to be cast into hell. He ought to be one of mine. But the Lord says, Lord Jesus says, that's my child. That's my child. He's forgiven. He's under my blood. I am his propitiation. You know, 1 John 2, 1 says, We have an advocate with Father Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is our propitiation. In other words, He satisfied the righteous demand of God or the righteousness of God on our behalf. And when you put your faith and trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, He becomes your propitiation, your satisfaction between you and God. And He can say, That's mine. That's one of my child. It's one of my brethren. And the devil, you know, I could just kind of picture, you know, I'd, I'd like to be there to see it. The, the devil just put his, uh, he doesn't have a tail, but, but like a dog putting his tail between his legs and just walking sheepishly away. 
See, he's our high priest. And he's still interceding in our behalf. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then the writer saying, Look, you Hebrews, Moses can't intercede for you anymore. Aaron can't intercede for you anymore. Those Old Testament sacrifices are done away with in Christ. It is Jesus Christ who will mediate your cause. I have made him my mediator. I trust you have. So we see the way to God. He is the way to God. Secondly, we see he is the faithful builder of his house, the church. We'll notice several things here. And notice in verses 2 through 5, who was faithful to him that appointed him. That was Christ. He was faithful. As also Moses was faithful in all his house, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as the Son over his own house, whose house are we. Now, let me define a few things here for us to establish a few things first. The word house, I believe, refers to the church. And, you know, there is, and I believe it refers to the church in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You say, well, there was a church in the New Testament? Or in the Old Testament? Yeah, there was. The word church in the Bible means assembly. In Numbers 12, 7, it says, Moses, my servant, is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. Then in Acts 7, 38, it says, This is he, speaking of Christ, that was in the church in the wilderness. Now, was the nation of Israel an assembly in the wilderness? The word church means assembly. Were they assembled in one place? The answer is yes. When they got into the land, were they assembly? The answer is no. They were no longer assembly. They were scattered throughout the nation. They weren't an assembly there. They weren't a church once they got to the land. But they were a church. and They were an assembly in the wilderness. They, they were in one location all the time. They stayed together. They camped together. Round about the tabernacle. They were an assembly, just like our church is an assembly of people. And so when he refers to Moses, and by the way, Moses never went into the land. Moses served the Lord in the wilderness. He served the church in the wilderness, the Jewish people. That assembly. Now, it's not a New Testament church, but it is an assembly. So, so when it says here the house, I believe we can understand he's referring to the church, the New Testament church. First uh, Timothy 3.15, we see the wording again the same. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou dost behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So I believe when he's saying that, 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 that he was faithful to him that appointed him, he was faithful in all his house, he's referring to faithful in the, his house is the church. The word faithful means trusty. It speaks of persons who show themselves faithful 
in the transaction of business, the execution of demands, or the discharge of official duties. And if, you're gonna, if you decide you want to build a house and you, ha you have to hire a builder to build your house, you want one that's faithful. You, know, you, want, you want somebody who will put a sufficient number of screws in every piece of drywall. You want somebody that will nail the shingles on properly. I can testify that I have been on roofs where they were not nailed properly. There were shortcuts taken, and I've had to do repairs. Probably four or five years ago, I was doing some repairs for an older gentleman. He's a former pastor of another church uh, in this area. He's retired now, but anyway, his house, the shingles, there'd be, be, be like four or five foot sections of them that were, were, were sliding down, sliding out of place. There was no nail holes in them. No nail holes in them. And, and so, you know, he, every once in a while he called me and had me come over. He said, you know, some shingles look out of place. And I went and I said, well, the, you know, whoever put it on didn't nail it right. He said, yeah, they cut shortcuts. They took shortcuts. And he, and he relayed this story to me. When he was a young man, he, he got this job working for this construction crew, this car, contractor. And he said that we went to the job site one day, this house they were going to build, they were building. And he said, the contractor came in and said, look, we need to get this house done. You, you put that drywall on there, you put two or three screws in each end and a couple in the middle, and you let it go of that. He said, I looked at him and I said, I can't do that. He said, well, then you're done. And he said, I took up my, off my nail apron, he paid me for what I, work I had done, and I left. You see, what is that? That's a builder of a house who is not faithful. He's not faithful. Well, the Bible tells us that Moses was faithful and the Lord was faithful in all his house. These were faithful. The Lord was faithful. You know, Moses made things according to the plans God gave him. He led Israel by the Lord's direction. When the cloud moved, he moved. When the cloud stayed, he stayed. You know, that is how we ought to live. We ought to live by the Lord's direction. We ought to follow the Lord's commands. And we see that our, we know that our Lord Jesus Christ was faithful in, in all his house, and, and he's the builder of the house, but he was faithful. In John 8, 29, it says, He that sent me is with me, the Father hath not let me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now, Moses couldn't quite make that statement. Because we know on one account that Moses struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to it. You know, there was a voice that came from heaven three times. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. And whom I am well pleased. John 17, 4, in his prayer to the Father, the Lord said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. You know, he was so complete and faithful in his work that he humbled himself, became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ was faithful to Him that appointed Him. However, 
You know, Moses' leadership and authority was delegated to him. He was not the builder of the house. He was not the author of Israel's redemption out of Egypt. See, Jesus Christ was not only faithful, he is the builder of the house. He is the author of our salvation. And so is it not true that he's worthy of more honor than Moses? I mean, he's the author, he's the builder. Matthew 16, 18 says, he said, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Colossians 2, 9, the Bible says, For in him, that is in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. You don't need Moses. You don't need Aaron. You don't need the Old Testament saints. You don't need all that. You need Christ. That's it. You see, a church that Jesus built is complete. It has all things necessary for a church. It is the habitation of God through the Spirit, Ephesians 2 tells us. See, verse 2 tells us that Christ, He was faithful to Him that appointed Him. And again, in Acts 2, 22, Peter tells those men of Israel that this was a man approved of God. He was an appointed. Uh, Acts 17, 31, Paul tells them in Athens that because He hath appointed a day in which He would judge the world in righteousness, by that man whom He hath ordained, He has chosen or ordained Him and raised Him from the dead. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says, Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. You know, it, even in our own lives, God is faithful. Our Lord is always faithful. If He asks something of us, He's faithful to provide the means and the wherewithal, the, the ability to carry out His commands. God's commands are not grievous. He doesn't ask of us things we cannot do. That are impossible. You might think they are. But that is to limit the power of God. Because He is the builder of the house. He's the one that will build your life. He can build your life. You know, Moses couldn't build the lives of the children of Israel. All he could do was point them to the Lord. But the Lord says, I can build your life. I am the builder. I am your creator. And so, he is the builder of the house. I want you to notice a third thing here. And to turn to the persons of the house. In verse 6, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Now, to understand this verse, we must take it in its immediate context and in context with the rest of the Bible. 
There are many who will take this verse and say, it means you can lose your salvation. But there are other scriptures in the Bible that contradict that. John 10, 27-30 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So to whom God gives eternal life, God himself says they shall never perish. I mean, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have what kind of life? Everlasting life. So we know that the Bible teaches when a person has the, has the real life of God, it is for eternity. Because God's life is eternal. And if you have the life of God, it is eternal. So what does this mean? Well, let's define a few things here. The word if can mean different things in the Bible, but in this case it's a conditional particle which makes reference to time and to an experience. Introducing something future, but not determining before the event whether it is certainly to take place. It's like, if in case, is the idea. If in case. You know, whether something is certain to take place. So what you have here, and notice the words we hold fast, that's one word in the Greek, and it means to get possession of. So if we get possession of. You could say it that way. If we get possession of. The word confidence means fearless, undoubting confidence, assurance. Of course, firm, the undoubting confidence of Christians relative to their fellowship with God. So here's what you have. You have, he says, whose house are we if we hold fast, if we get possession of the person of Christ. If we really get possession of it. With assurance and confidence that he is ours. That's the idea. You know, Ephesians 3.12 says this, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. So, so the idea here is, if, if, if we really believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what he said he did, that he offers salvation to us, that he can give us eternal life and has provided for us eternal life, and we rest in that with assurance and confidence and we take possession of it. We don't just taste it, try it. Do you ever have you know, a little child trying new foods? And so you say, well, just give them a little taste. And so they taste it and they go, you know, they're spitting it back out. In other words, they didn't digest it. They didn't consume it. They didn't swallow it. You know, Hebrews 2.9 says that the Lord tasted death for every man. He died, but he wasn't swallowed up of death. In other words, death couldn't 
take hold of him and keep him dead. He rose from the grave. He overcome death. He did not, was not swallowed up of death. And so the idea here is not just a person who's tasted, he's dabbled a little bit, he, he's, he's heard a little bit about Jesus, he kind of liked what he's heard, but then there was something about it he didn't like, so he spit it back out. No, he consumed it. And it became part of who he is. It's his life. It's not something you just take on Sunday and throw it away the rest of the week. No, it's part of you. That's the idea. It's part of you. You see, here these Hebrews, these Hebrews were, they were saying, oh yeah, you need to believe in Christ. But then then, in Acts 15.1, they said, except ye be circumcised, ye cannot be saved. Oh, all of a sudden we have to do works too. Or we can't be saved. You know what that is? That's going back to the Old Testament covenants of circumcision. Which is a sign of God's people in the Old Testament. But it's not a sign of God's people in the New. What did Paul say? Circumcision availeth nothing and uncircumcision availeth nothing but Christ. You know, I believe when a person is saved, they know it. They know it. And they're not defensive about it. You ask somebody about their salvation, and I believe if they're truly saved, they don't get squirmish and uncomfortable and not want to talk about it. You know, when new life comes into the world, a child comes into the world, you don't want not to talk about it. I mean, keep it a secret for two months after you have this baby, you know. Say, no way, we're going to tell everybody. And you've got grandparents here, they're going to tell everybody. You know, this is the way it is, you tell everybody. The good news. Notice, in, notice again, the end of verse 6. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Now, this rejoicing has the idea of what are you glorying in? Now, let me illustrate that. You know, I've asked many people over the years, are you saved or do you have a relationship with the Lord? And here's some answers you'll get. Well, yeah, I was baptized at so Baptist Church. Oh, back in... Okay, so then my question would be, what are they glorying in? Their baptism. That's what they're glorying in. It's their baptism. Well, yeah, I was, uh, I've, been, I've attended you know, Jacob Presbyterian Church since I was a child. Okay, what are they glorying in? their attendance at this Jacob Presbyterian Church. I don't know if there is such a thing, but, but you know, I'm just, you know, using illustration. So they're glorying in their church attendance. Well, I used to run the buses at so-and-so, you know, at church. What are they glorying in? They're glorying in their service that they did. They're not glorying in Jesus Christ. 
And they're right here saying, look, don't you glory in Moses? Because when you compare Jesus and Moses, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. Moses can't save you. Moses can't mediate for you. Moses didn't bring the message of God down from heaven, the invitation to salvation. Jesus did. So don't you glory in Moses. If you glory in Moses, you're going to end up in hell. That's the bottom line. What are you glorying in? If you glory in your good works, you're going to end up in hell. See, the one we're to glory in, rejoice in our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. See, it was not Moses they rebelled against in the wilderness. Stephen told us, this is He whom they believed not in the wilderness. It was the Lord they rebelled against in the wilderness. And it is the Lord that many people rebel against today or refuse to follow when they give an answer like, well, I did such and such and I was a member at such and such church and I was... What are they glorying in? Well, I pray every day. What are you glorying in? I read the Bible every day. What are you glorying in? I witness people. Is that what you're glorying in? You know, I had one lady tell me, well, I served as the head of the music department in a Baptist church right here in this area. She did tell me if she had a relationship with the Lord. Because that doesn't mean she has a relationship with the Lord. Well, I served as a deacon. Well, is that what you're glorying in? Romans eleven six, the Bible says, If by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, that's a lot of grace and works. But the bottom line is this. If you're adding works, it's not of grace. And if it's of grace, there's no works. There's no works to glory in. There's only one way that you can be saved. That you can have hope of eternal life. And this is what the writer is telling these Hebrews. There's only one hope for you, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In Romans 15, 17, he says, I have thereof where I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. But in Galatians 6, 14, he says, But God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world was crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Ephesians 3.21 says, Unto Him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Colossians 1.27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of His mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, the church at Corinth boasted about their gifts. To whom the Lord said through His man, two times, once in 1 Corinthians and once in 2 Corinthians, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord.
See, here's, here's the danger. Hebrews 10.39 says this, We are not of them who draw back unto perdition. Your brother Welch and I had Bible study with several people right here. Two years ago? Three years ago? And they listened. And then they went away. You know, I asked if they had questions. No, you explained everything very well. I went to see them a little bit later, a couple of them. And they weren't really interested. What did they do? They, they heard the gospel. They liked what they heard. But they drew back. They drew back. Unto perdition. Judgment. See, if they continue in that state, it's hell for all eternity. You know, people can hear the gospel and with joy receive it. But then by and by they're offended and they turn away. What are they doing? They're drawing back under petitions. We have an example of this in the scriptures. Turn to John chapter 6 and then I'm, I'm finished. I am almost finished. John chapter 6 is a classic example of this very thing that I'm talking about. In John 6, in verse 51, it says, I am the, Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. I am, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? Then Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drinketh indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Notice verse 57. This is a key verse. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. In other words, if you partake of me, if you receive me as your life, your source of eternal life, I am the way, the truth, and life. And, and we must receive him as our Lord and Savior, receive him as our life, then we must live by him. If, so if he is ours, we will live by him. And you know, there were some there listening that day that said, oh, That means, that means he's direct, he is the source of our power. He's the one we would glory in. He's our confidence. He's the one that would direct our life, direct our decisions, direct our actions, direct our words, how we handle our money, govern our relationships. And all of a sudden they said, uh, we're not sure we want that. See, it says, you will, even he shall live by me. And then, verse 60 says, Many therefore his disciples, when they heard this saying, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself, the disciples murmured at it, he said to them, does this offend you? What, and if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Or if you see him ascend up, you're proving that he is God, 
It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth not. In other words, I'm not talking about you actually eating me. I'm talking about spiritual things here. So you're going to live by me. Your life is going to be directed by me from the spirit, not from their flesh. And the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. Now, he called them all his disciples, but there were some that did not believe yet. They hadn't yet taken possession of him. And verse 66 tells us, interesting, John 6, 66. Just, anyway, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They said, oh, they're sort of like that couple that we, they said, oh, wait a minute. You know, this really sounds good. You know, a lot of people really like and value things about the Christian life. You know, the virtues of it. Honesty. You know, work ethic. Uh, the, va- the family values. You know, all these things. They value that. That's attractive. But, oh. Okay, wait a minute. Now, now you've just gone too far, preacher. You're telling us that we have to live by Christ? In other words, he gets, he gets, he's supposed to have control of and direct our finances also? Yeah. Isn't he your life? Is he your life or isn't he? You see, they dabble in Christianity, like trusting friendships, associate interaction of good life. You know, there's many benefits in Christendom that one can enjoy without having a relationship with God. You see, and then Jesus said to the twelve, Will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, To whom shall we go? Where would we go? We can't go to Moses. Moses can't give us eternal life. Our good works are no good. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe in our shore that thou art the Christ, the chosen of God, the anointed of God, God with us, the son of the living God. So the question is, who is your life? What is it that you would state why you think you have the life of God? What are you glorying in? Or what are you rejoicing in, as he said to the Hebrews? You know, in the New Testament, Moses represents a work salvation, and if you glory in your works, you are without hope. No, he says, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the... In other words, if we carry through with it. We live by Him. So is Christ your mediator? Is He your high priest of your profession? Is your relationship with God through Christ or through your church or through your service or through your attendance or through your praying or is it through Jesus Christ? That's the question. And so, 
What is the hope of your rejoicing? What are you relying on for your salvation?